Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Well, let me open up today with a story of frustration. Are you ready for this? It was the summer of 1992, and I was working in a logging camp. Uh, I was driving a cat, a big bulldozer, and I was building up roads, and then when trucks would get stuck in the inevitable mud that comes in northern Alberta, um, I would help pull those trucks through the mud. I got the job because my dad was a great cat skinner. I was a mediocre cat skinner, but somehow his reputation rubbed off on me. Well, it was great. The truckers were great. They would work their way through the mud. Some of them could actually get through it, be okay, but then occasionally they would get stuck and I would have to rumble over with the cat attached to their truck and pull them through the mud. And every time I would come up to a trucker, if they hadn't had the spiel before, I would explain to them, this is how it works. I attach to you, I drop the slack, and once we've kind of got it tight, I will pull you through the mud. Don't try to help me. Because if you uh, feel a bit of traction and then you start getting and taking up the slack and then we pull it and jerk you around and we'll wreck stuff. So here's the deal. Let me pull you through the mud. And once we're through and you feel like you're good, then we'll unattach and you'll be on your merry way. Worked great. Until Bill came along. Bill was a young trucker. He was eager to go to make as many trips as he could in a day to rack up the money. And, and so... He inevitably got stuck, and when I went to help him out, I gave him the same spiel I give everyone. Listen, Bill, here's the deal. I'll pull you through the mud. Don't try to help me. Uh, If you feel traction, just be okay with that. Ride it through, and we'll all be okay. Well, that was fine as far as it went, he thought, but inevitably, somewhere in the middle, he felt a bit of traction. He got excited, and next thing you know, he's right up behind the cat, and the cable is trailing and there's lots of slack and I'm trying to work with it and and then he's stuck again and it tightens up and back and forth and then pow his bumper comes off in the mud and uh he flies out of his truck he's I think cursing me and mad at his truck and I get off the cat and we're standing around his bumper which is sitting now sinking into the mud and his truck is super stuck but it's loaded with logs not much we can do and so I get around him and I pull his truck backwards, offload the logs and load up his bumper and he has to head back into town. He could make it through the mud now that he wasn't loaded. He had to make it two hours back to the town to the shop so he could reattach his bumper. So off he went. Later on that afternoon, there was Bill. He'd made it back, bumper reattached, in the lineup to get logs, ready to go. Okay, fine. Here he comes. I give him the same spiel. Bill, let me pull you through. Don't try to help me. Remember what happened last time. Um, just if you see slack, if you, if you feel traction, don't, don't do it. Just let me pull you through. Yeah, 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 he said. Well, get into the middle. He starts feeling traction. Next thing you know, he's right up behind me again. What am I supposed to do? I'm trying to be gentle. I'm not that great of a cat skinner, but I'm okay. And uh, I'm trying to do what I can. And next, bam, the bumper comes off again. Well, this time... Um, 
I'm a little worried for my life because uh, I know how mad he is. He's flying off the truck. I get off rather slowly at this point. I slog my way back to a very angry Bill and a very stuck truck. And, you know, at that moment, you don't want to say, I told you so, because you would risk, I don't think, I think he would have buried me right there in in the mud. But thankfully, I didn't have to, because at that very moment, I looked at his bumper and I said, Bill, how did you reattach your bumper? Silence. I'm getting suspicious. I look a little closer. My sympathy for him is now sinking into the mud because I said, Bill, it looks like you just took two bolts in this thing. Sure enough, that's what he'd done. In all in a rush, he'd gone back to the shop and instead of properly reattaching his bumper, he'd thrown in a couple bolts. So the bumper, sure, was hanging there, but it wasn't nearly secure. Rushed back for another load of logs, inevitably got stuck. And then his bumper didn't have the strength to handle even a bit of the pressure that he was giving it as he was trying to help me through the mud. So there his bumper's off again. And Bill, once again, has to be unloaded, head back into town for now another unpaid trip without logs. These guys are paid for the work they do. I didn't see Bill for the rest of that day. It was too late in the day. And I was wondering how it would turn out. The next morning, Bill showed up again and it had rained all night. And well, my sense of self-preservation was getting strong. Alarm bells were going off, and I thought, what am I going to do? And I can see Bill coming through the line. I can see him getting loaded. Oh, my goodness. How am I going to handle this? Because I think if the bumper comes off again, I'm dead. Well, just at that moment, my prayers were answered. I look over, and my, my dad is cla- clattering by in his own cat. My dad is far more experienced than me. So the moment I had a chance, I rushed over to my dad and said, Dad, can you pull Bill this time? Because I think if If it happens again, I'm in trouble. My dad's like, sure. So he came over and uh, got down in the mud with Bill when Bill got stuck and explained to Bill, gave him the same spiel I gave him, which is, Bill, don't don't help. Let us pull you through the mud. If you let me pull you through the mud, you'll be on your merry way. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's looking good at that point. Bill is coming. He's letting my dad pull him. The, The cable's taut. They're coming through the mud. Just before the end, as you can see the dry ground, you know, it's like he's almost through the Red Sea, as it were. Bill tries to help. Bill begins to take up slack, and bam, his bumper comes off again. It was unbelievable. I stood back and watched. I like to say, I don't think we ever saw Bill again. I think he just descended right into the mud at that point, and that cut block way up in northern Alberta is still haunted when it rains. But Bill will forever be known in our family as Bumper Bill. A story of tremendous frustration. It was frustrating for me, but let's be honest, it was really frustrating for Bill. Well, today we're at a hinge point in our Renewed series. Through this series, we've been kind of walking through the story of Scripture, particularly through the Old Testament, and seeing how God has worked through the story from creation Um, through the early parts, through the early family, and then the creation of this nation out of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, through Moses and coming into the land, all that God was doing to bring his people where he wanted them to be, how God had pledged himself to them and also to bless them for the sake of the whole world. And this story of creation, the story of this family, as it turns out, in some ways can be captured as a story of incredible frustration on the part of God. Because no matter what kind of 
instructions, no matter seemingly what kind of grace or guidance or warnings or punishment or raiders or whatever God sends, his people insist on ignoring him, insist on going their own way and getting themselves firmly stuck in the mud every chance they get. As this family becomes a nation, all hopes that they would shine for the world to see were dashed at every turn, repeatedly. In the muck, it seems like instead of depending on God's ways and living in covenant faithfulness with him, they would look for any and every excuse to do things their own way, which resulted in trouble, distress, bumpers off in the mud, eventually judgment through exile. It can feel a lot like our own story, or perhaps our own story writ large, but we can see that all through this story of God's people. The story arc, as it were, is more like the story of a badly falling stock over many, many years. It starts up here with all the hopes and dreams and promises, and it just keeps trending downwards. Yes, there's a few ups along the way, and there's a few key moments in the life of Israel, and a few key figures that are faithful and true and devoted, but the general trend is to the south, and it's bad. And now, even after the return of God's people from exile, where the temple had been rebuilt and the walls were rebuilt, things weren't awesome. Life wasn't quite right. I mean, the people of God stood around and wondered, is this really what God meant for us? Is this what all the promises entailed? Is is this where this story was going? Is this it? And God's people began to wonder if there wasn't something more. God would send prophets who would begin to tell them that there was, in fact, something more, something greater, a a, a renewal that was coming, a a renewal of all creation, a renewal of God's people, a, a change, a real change. Something was going to be done that was bigger than their imagination, bigger than they had hoped for. Yes, in many ways, the story of the Old Testament is a story of frustration, a story of God's frustration. God had huge hopes and no one seems to either understand them or be interested in really working with them. It's a story of God's frustration, but it's also a story of God's faithfulness. And through his prophets, he begins to share with them how he is going to continue to be faithful. He's going to overcome the frustration, overcome the resistance going to do it in a way that we might never have expected. You know, it's a good time in this part of the story where we've really gone through not every bit of the Old Testament, but we've gone through the main story arc. It's a good point to stop and remind ourselves of those five key worldview questions, which we've posed along the way. We talked about how any worldview narrative, any religion, any philosophy, wrestles with five basic questions. Questions of identity. Who are we? And maybe in particular even, who is God? But who are we? Uh, The question of reality. What's the nature of the world around us? kind of place that we live in? Also, key question is, what's wrong with the world? A diagnosis question. And of course, related to that is, what's the remedy? How does this get fixed? And the fifth question is, what's our place in that? What's our participation, our, our part? And as we've been going through this story, That has been fleshed out for us more and more. We're beginning to recognize that our identity is that we are created in the image of God. 
but also that we're somehow rebellious, broken, sinful, that these things are both true. We also are seeing that God is faithful, but also God is holy. We're starting to identify how through this story, who we are and who God is are bound up together. The reality is fleshed out because we see that God created a good world, a good creation. He had hopes and dreams and plans for it, and he placed us in leadership within creation so that the nature of reality around us is actually affected by who we are in relationship with God and with each other. But perhaps the most telling feature is when we get to diagnosis. What we recognize through this story of frustration and faithfulness is that what's wrong with the world gets very personal. What's wrong with the world is us. It's humans. It's the people. That no matter what God has tried, nothing seems to have changed the human heart, the human condition. Examples didn't work. The law didn't work. Uh, Warnings didn't seem to work. Judgment didn't seem to work. What will work? If we are the ones wrong with the world, what do we do about us? It's a question that we continue to come up against all the way to today. Whether we look through history or we look through the newsreel, we recognize that there's something wrong with the world and that something is us. We seem stuck. This is our world and it's ours to clean up. We made the mess. We got to deal with it. And yet we seem unable to do so. We seem unable to do what God wants. Frankly, unable to even do what we want. Unable to do what we most need. There's a helplessness in that. What we begin to see through the prophets is that God knows, of course, that that is the problem. Humans have a heart problem. And that heart problem then seeps out into everything. Seeps out into our culture, into our systems, into our ways of relating, our ways of being with each other, our ways of treating people who are different than us. The human heart seeps out. And so God begins to speak of the need of heart change, of a heart surgery, a radical heart transplant, in fact, where God actually takes out of us this rebellious stony heart and replaces it with a heart that's soft and responsive. Why? Well, Prophet Jeremiah himself said, because the heart is deceitful deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? There's something in us that's off. The problem is us and nothing seems to be able to bring true lasting change in us. No matter how hard we try, And as a result, nothing seems to be able to bring true lasting change in the world. And the problem also is, of course, that we struggle to even acknowledge that. To acknowledge our own sin. To acknowledge our own infection. To acknowledge our complicity in the ruin of the world. I don't know about you, but I constantly want to blame someone else for what's going on around me. That's true personally, but that can be true for us as a society. True for us as a culture. When we see things going wrong, we want to shift the blame. We want to say it's somebody else's responsibility rather than saying, I have a part to play in the degradation of creation, in systemic injustice, in in things that have gone off the tracks in our city, our towns, our country. The human heart seeps out into all of life. 
But we put up barriers, we make excuses, we try to deflect and blame. It's a very old trick. We see it as early as Genesis 3. And so the prophets, through this later part of the Old Covenant story, they begin to tell of a time that's coming when this will be different, when this will change, when God will make a new covenant with his people in which he will work a radical heart change in us, that God will lift us out of the muck by entering into the muck himself, that God is going to somehow take our part without taking away our participation. There's two key passages. There are many others, but there's two key ones that we often look at. I want to explore them very briefly today. One is in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel speaking um, on behalf of God is encouraging the exiles and telling them that there is hope. And God says this through Ezekiel. He says, For I will take you out of the nations. Talk about the return now. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And then here it is, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Do you hear the promise there? God recognizes that no matter what we do, the heart that is desperately wicked has not been replaced. There's nothing we're going to be able to do to make life better, to follow God faithfully, to be who God has created us to be. And so what God promises is a kind of radical heart surgery where he replaces our hearts and fills us with his Holy Spirit tells of a time when the change that happens internally will then flow out to the world around us. Where we, who have been recreated in the image of God, can actually live as his new images in the world. All over the prophets, we hear of a time coming when God will be fully known, when people will be fully restored, and creation will be fully renewed, and God will be fully glorified as it should be. How will that happen? Well, over in Jeremiah 31, there's a promise of the new covenant planted in our hearts, and it fits together with Ezekiel 33 very well. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Remember how we talked about how there were these different covenants that were made through the story? A covenant with, with Adam, a covenant with Noah, a covenant with Moses, Abraham, David, and these covenants would build on the next. Well, now there's a change in the wind being prophesied by Jeremiah. God goes on to say this, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. And listen to this covenant. Listen to this, what it's going to do. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them 
to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. What does this mean? This new covenant that God has promised to create is one where the heart has changed. Where instead of the law of God and the desires of God and the hopes and dreams and plans being something external that we see and try to follow but with failing hearts can't, God says, I'm going to take my desires, my hopes, and I'm going to plant it in their hearts, in their minds. I'm going to fill them with my Holy Spirit so they can be the people that they were created to be in right relationship with me, with others, and with the world that I've given them to rule. It means that God says, in spite of all the frustration, his faithfulness will never let sin have the final word in the story. Yes, this Old Testament story is a story of frustration. But more than that, it's a story of faithfulness. God looks at the human heart and says, I know what needs to be done. I know what needs to be done so that I can truly bring renewal to the people I've made, to the world I've created, to the future I've planned. God sees our frustrated state and he enters into the muck. He sees that we're unable to help ourselves and so he comes alongside us through Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. Through his prophets, he begins to assure them that someone is coming, the Messiah. He would become one of us. He would enter into our muck. He would shoulder upon himself our own load and he would make possible for us and in us what was impossible without him. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, remember what he said when he spoke to his disciples in that upper room? He said these words. He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And in a few minutes, we're going to communion. But I want to highlight this because this new covenant that Jeremiah was talking about, this new heart that Ezekiel was promising, Jesus came to establish that. To do for us what we couldn't do so that we could be who God intended us to be. And this new covenant which we celebrate at communion is something that's real and true even now. Now, we still struggle to do what we know we should do. We still struggle to follow the way that Jesus has called us to follow. But the difference is this. Jesus has come and taken our place in the muck. He has come and stepped in where we couldn't go. He went to the cross. He cleansed us from our sin. And now, with the Holy Spirit in us, we can actually begin to experience his heart surgery, his change from the inside out in a way that was never possible. Now, by the Holy Spirit, we can live in this new covenant, which no longer hinges just on us. That's the thing about this new covenant Jesus made. He made it with the Father on our behalf. He represented us. He did it perfectly. And then he calls us to follow him and says, look, here's the deal. I've got you covered. I've offered the right response to the Father already in your name. Now you can follow me in freedom. You can learn what it means to be part of the family of God. And when you stumble and when you fall and when you resist, I can pick you up. I can brush you off 
and we can keep going. The Holy Spirit is in us, enabling us to follow Jesus in this new covenant with freedom and with life. And so what's the point? We're coming to communion today. When we come to communion, we're first of all celebrating this new covenant that Jesus has made. Our story is no longer a story of frustration. It's a story of completion. It's a story of what God has already accomplished for us in Christ and is now accomplishing in us by the Holy Spirit. Yes, we still experience some frustration, but there's been a huge change because it's no longer a story of stumbling downward, but now it's a story of growth. It's a story of God's kingdom coming. It's a story of us experiencing more of his joy and peace and fullness as we also experience his forgiveness and his discipline and his cleansing. Instead of a downward trend, instead of a falling stock, it's now as though all of our stock and hope and dreams have been placed safely in the hands of Jesus. And friends, that enables us to live with security, with strength, with confidence, because Jesus is leading us in this new covenant. So we celebrate that new covenant at communion. We also confess our need for Jesus. That's why we confess our sin at communion. We confess our need because we acknowledge that we still need cleansing. We still need healing. We still need a reformation. We still need to acknowledge things in us that need surgery, need to be cut out. Not because we're living under a deep burden of of, of condemnation. No, but because the condemnation has been removed and now in freedom, we can become all that God has created us to be. We can acknowledge places in our hearts and lives where we're still off, where my desires don't align with God's, where my want-tos need to change so that they are are more fully expressing the want-tos of God in the world. But we can confess that with freedom, knowing that Jesus has forgiven us, walking with us, pouring his Holy Spirit into us. We celebrate, we confess, and we also consciously depend. We take of the bread and wine today to remember that we are fully dependent on the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives, on his ongoing presence. He is writing his law into our minds even now. He is forming his desires in our hearts even now. That means that we don't have to just look to an external, but rather God is teaching us to know him through his word in community right here in our own hearts and lives. And as we consciously depend on the Holy Spirit, he leads us into greater and greater truth, greater and greater freedom. Well, with that in mind, I want to invite Amanda to join me as we lead now all of us to share in this celebration of the new covenant through communion. It is now our sacred privilege to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. All who humbly put their trust in Christ and desire his help that they may lead a holy life, all who are truly sorry for their sins and would be delivered from them, all who would walk in love with their neighbors and intend to live a new life, following the commandments of God, walking from now on in his holy ways, are invited to draw near with faith and receive this holy sacrament. Will you say this words of confession with me? Most Most merciful merciful God, God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. 
We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Let's continue by confessing our faith together in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are so thankful that we're able to celebrate the new covenant that you have made with us. Thank you for all that you have done for us, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Coming to us, becoming one of us, going to the cross for us, rising again for us, and giving us your Holy Spirit so that in our hearts and minds you might write your law, your desire. You might... Do that heart surgery that we need so desperately. And today, as we come to the table, we celebrate all that you've done. And we confess that we need you. Confess our sins. Confess our, your lordship. And also confess our full dependence upon you. And so now as we take, as we partake in this, your new covenant, would you do your work in us? Not only for our sakes, but for the sake of the world that you love. In your name we pray. Amen. Come to this sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. 
Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come, not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. We invite you to partake in your own homes, wherever you're at today, of the bread and the juice, even as Amanda and I share in it together. Amanda, the body of Christ broken for you. Well, it's appropriate for us to sing together of this reckless love of God for us. And so I invite you to join us in a final song as we lead you, as we celebrate this covenant that Jesus has made with us. spoke your word you were singing over me you have been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me you have been so so kind love of God Oh, it chases me down fights till I'm found leaves the 99 I couldn't earn it I don't deserve it still you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming never ending reckless love of God I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. No worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so good to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found. Shadow, you won't light up. Mountain, you won't climb up. Come.
coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down to me There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me As we send you today, the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.